Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. On this week's show, we've got an interview with Scott Redding ahead of the 2021 World Superbike season. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie on the show. And uh, Gordo, good to have you back on the Paddock Pass podcast. It's been a while. It has been a while, mate. Um, it's been a very long winter. I don't remember being at home as much ever for 20 odd years. It's very, very strange. But uh, at least we've started some kind of testing and uh, moving towards a meaningful start of the season, even though it's going to be May before we get anywhere. Yeah, I tell you what, it was great to be down in Catalonia for the test down there. Basically a massive group test, almost the entire grid there. And uh, it was just interesting to see where everyone is right now. And very interesting to see where the likes of Scott Redding were. Because this is a, a massive year for Scott. This is the season where he really has to show what he's made of. This is the year where, you know, it's put up or shut up time really for Scott. You know, he can't use any excuses. He, he can't be a rookie anymore. He can't be learning tracks, learning people, learning the bike, learning tires. You know, he's got plenty of experience now in a superbike and needs to get the job done this year. Yeah, he does. There's no other uh, goal for those guys than for him to win the World Championship this year. Um, he had a good go at it last year. It was a rookie year. He had a lot of expectation on him, but a lot of that expectation was from people outside who maybe didn't quite understand the full task involved. But after a full season, after winter testing and so on, this year he has to just get the job done. And the only thing for Ducati is to win the World Championship, which they haven't done in too long. Yeah, you're going all the way back to Carlos Chaka. So Ducati, obviously, they've had, was it, three different bikes since then? And it's been one thing after the other where they were... You know, in the wilderness for I think it was three years without winning a race before Chaz Davis got his his first win with Ducati, and then suddenly you know Chaz wasn't quite able to get over the line for a championship. Ducati brought out the V4R, a massive step forward. I think pretty much anyone that says it isn't the best bike on the grid, you know, they're kind of looking through different coloured glasses because that package, when it's working at its best is very dominant. We saw that with the likes of Alvaro Bautista. We've seen Michael Rubin Rinaldi able to win races on a Chaz Davis, Scott Redding. So that is the package that if you can get the most out of it, is the one everyone really wants to be on. Yes. Um, that is the bike with the highest performance level. It's a full factory bike. They've got all that experience now. This will be year three on that bike. Um they have had some unbelievable results on that bike. The trouble is, again, we go back to the same problem of consistency. When it's good, it's very, very good and very difficult for anybody else to beat it. Even Jonathan Kawasaki and all the experience they have. The the problem they've got is that the bike doesn't always work well. And when it doesn't, even riders like Scott or Chaz or somebody else are just toiling. So if they can get the bike to operate at 99% of its performance envelope all the time, then Jonathan's in trouble, um, obviously from Scott being the number one Ducati guy. But even winter testing, uh, it doesn't look as if it's... Uh, they're still having some issues that they were speaking about last year. So maybe there's just an inherent challenge in that bike and the format it's in, no matter what you do with the available settings to change. Yeah, because Gordo, obviously these are production-derived bikes and obviously some of them cost a lot more than others, but because they're a production bike, there's always going to be a limiting factor in some way or another, something that you can't really just develop out of the bike. You can't just suddenly change the chassis and, and change everything. You can't suddenly drop in new engines. You have to make sure you're working within the limitations of effectively the bike that goes to the showroom. Now, some bikes obviously have it where that performance is a little bit higher. Some bikes have it where the window is a little bit wider. But, you know, these can be issues that 
just won't go away for Ducati potentially as well. Yeah, and I think there's some interesting things that are specific to Ducati as well. Um, you could argue that the performance of that bike, engine-wise, is actually maybe too high, and therefore it makes it more difficult to control. Uh, as you say, the chassis is, you can't make the chassis weaker. You're not allowed to, but you can make them stronger. So maybe their chassis, if they wanted to do something, they might want to make it weaker in some areas. Now, you can do that again by changing some of the ancillary racing equipment, but um, it, it's got good characteristics and it's got not so good characteristics. The same as every other motorcycle has. Um Ducati might actually have a bit too much of a bike um, from the start off. And what they because of what exactly what you say that's production racing, if there's something that isn't quite right, well they're stuck with it until they make a brand new homologation for lots and lots of key elements of the bike. Now I actually had a little run through the rule book for something today. And it's amazing how many stock things or start off with stock and maybe a wee tweak here and there you can do to these bikes now, but World Superbike is very, very productionized now, and that itself is a limit. So, okay, you can change things, but there's even limits on that, what you're allowed to do, even if you know you have a problem. So, between regulation, being stuck with a showroom bike, and lots of key elements, um, and you can't just change a bike every couple of years now, no factory has got the money to in the market to suddenly just make a new, brand new sports bike every two years. It virtually never happens. So you're talking evolutions, small changes. Ducati have got an awesome bike, but I could argue, it could be argued, that, that it's actually too much, and that's what causes some of the problems for it. And uh, Gordon, just before we hear from Scott as well, obviously last year whenever he came in, he talked an awful lot about the things that Bautista did wrong in terms of not being able to win the championship. I think one of the quotes that kind of came back a lot during the course of the year was that uh, Bautista had had butter on his fingers and he he dropped the championship from from his own grasp. You know, last year we saw that Scott kind of got derailed as well. You know, when we went to Aragon, we talked about how suddenly Scott wasn't looking at things that were promising or things that were good for him. He was looking at things that were bad. He was looking at, oh, well, Rinaldi's able to use the soft tire and I can't, was the one thing that the whole way through the second half of last year we heard that a lot from him whenever you debrief with him at the end of a day or the end of a weekend. And, you know, I think, as, as he says during the course of the interview, you know, experience plays a big part in racing right now. But last year, you really hope he's been able to pick up a lot of lessons from that. Yes. Um, whatever he thought about it before he came in, the challenge is much more significant from one particular area. And things might be different this year. But, the bar was set by Jonathan in Kawasaki some years ago and some people can jump over that bar but they can't do it for a full championship, for a full round. They can't do that. If Scott could find a way, whether it comes from himself, whether it comes from improvements to the machine, to be there or thereabouts every single weekend and to use his bike's capabilities at the best tracks to the best of an advantage... Every chance he gets, no mistakes, no crashes, no mechanicals, then he's got a chance of being there in the, the, the final fight for the championship. But that's what has to be done, and that's what no one's been able to do since Jonathan turned up. The Kawasaki was always a good bike. Tom Sykes won a world championship on it. But the consistency has, has really come along in that period of time where you've got the most consistent rider, what seems to be the most consistently fast bike, and 
obviously a winning formula that's they, they just repeat, repeat, repeat. So that's what has to be overcome. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens through the course of the year. It was interesting to sit down with Scott. So let's get straight to it. Let's hear from the man himself and hear his thoughts on the 2021 season. Scott Redden joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. And Scott, it's a very different year this year compared to last year. Last year, there was the pressure of coming in and having to perform. This year, there's an expectation that you can perform right from the outset, be able to challenge for a championship. Yeah, it's definitely different. Also, for me, you know, I come off of winning a championship, um, feeling great, and then coming here with, you know, not knowing what to expect. Now I come here and I feel much more relaxed. I was more anxious last year. Like I thought it was more hunger, but I actually, the more I get used to it, it was more that I was more anxious last year because I didn't know what was going to be the outcome. Whereas now I kind of know a little bit where I stand, what I'm capable of doing. And it's just um, a more calm environment for me. So it's a bit more easy for me now. You said you know where you stand now. Where do you stand? I stand to fight for a title, you know. There was, uh, some people was maybe behind me last year, you know, like, yeah, you can do it. But there was a majority saying you couldn't do it. Um, but to take it down to the last round was already a big achievement for me, you know. We had some tough races mid-season with two races at the same track, which made us suffer a lot. Um but it was all learning for us. Everyone forgets it was my first year in World Superbike where I had to learn a lot of things. Um, and sometimes when you didn't have the track time or the feeling, like it's harder for me because I don't know really what to do. You know, the team's still learning me and on that track we got limited time. Whereas now we can go from our setting, which was maybe finishing on the podium or around the podium and we can work on that. So I've got that in the pocket now and... I know I can win races. I don't have to get the duck off my back as, you know, it's always a thing when you come into a new championship. And yeah, I'm just more confident in myself. What about for this season as well? Obviously, the team last year had Chaz as well. Chaz very much established at Ducati this year. It is basically you as the team leader. Rinaldi comes in, but there is a lot more pressure on you as well. Feels like um, Ronaldo is the team leader since he's been there. So I feel like I'm in the same position, just doing my thing, got my head down. Um, I just feel like the older one in the team, which I haven't felt that for a long time in my life, but kind of feels good. And what about within the team? Then obviously yourself and Gio have worked together for a long time, but to actually have the same crew second year in a row, that's going to make a big difference as well, just to be able to try and build on it. Yeah, definitely. You know, me and Gio work together now, be the third year. So we know each other, but we didn't know always the situation. So it was good. But like I say now, I think also for him is a bit more relaxed. We can focus on improving the bike instead of all the other little things. They all fall into place. Um, and like I don't need to worry I don't need to get to know people like I can just be myself and feel comfortable I know that I'm welcoming the team you don't you're not the what am I expecting when I go there what's it going to be is there the pressure I know all the situations so now I know how to deal with it before I get there well let's talk about the situation on track then as well because obviously you come into the paddock Johnny's been able to win this is six championships in a row and when you look at him as a rider, when you look at him as a rival, what's the big thing that impresses you or the big thing that you look at and say, I'd like to be able to incorporate that myself? 
Um, I think it's experience. Uh, it's not. It's the it's the biggest thing I can take. He's just got so much more experience over me in World Superbike. You know, with the same bike for so many years, he knows it inside out, tires inside out. I'm still, you know, last year was my second year with Pirelli, so I had to sometimes take a gamble. I didn't really know. The team's got a lot of experience. I mean, when they roll the Kawasaki out of the truck, they do a few clicks here, a few clicks there. They know they're in the ballpark to fight for a win. We roll the bike out, and we're a bit 50-50 at first. We don't know. How's Scott with the bike? Where are we going to have to go? We lose two sessions, then it's qualifying. I don't have that. So, racing with him, he's a good rider. He's a strong rider, and a fair rider and that's what I like I like to battle with people that are pretty hard but pretty fair um, but it's just the experience I wouldn't say there's any points like oh he's more motivated than me or he's stronger than me or he's focused than me like I believe that I have more than him in all of them areas just he has this big amount of experience that only time can give me and I'm trying to fast track to get to there and last year I did that you know we was at races that tracks I've never been in conditions I've never rode and we've still won races or we've got stronger to be on the podium or fight for wins in the last race so we're always making them steps I remember when we were chatting it would have been in your last year with Aprilia and uh, we were talking about how the fact that there was a lot of times whenever you felt you could train as hard as you wanted you could get the weight off you could do all these things but it made no difference mm -hmm. and then you know it's hard to find the motivation to try and keep driving yourself for that obviously this is a very different situation it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to find the motivation but do you see yourself any differently now than you did three four five six years ago ah oh, massively i seem massive i would love to have this scott redding six seven years ago it would have been a complete different ball game, but that's experience. You can't buy experience. And I've learned coming up through my career, been guiding myself. I've done the right thing. I've done the wrong thing. Maybe not been really perfect in some areas and people's maybe looked at me the wrong way, but I didn't know. I was just a young kid out of Gloucester finding my way and I was put out to sea on my own. People like Mark and these guys, they've been really like how can i say kept in check all the way through their career knowing where they need to go they've got the budget behind they've got the sponsors and it makes a difference you know but i can't complain and i can only work on it i never stop working to improve myself and that for me is what is important so i believe that there's still more to come from me um and to be motivated now is i know i can fight for a title so the hardest thing is not getting a race underway and waiting 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 you know i'm like a caged dog at the moment just you said that you've learned from some of the mistakes you made from whenever you were you know because it's interesting because when you talk to a lot of the riders that come from britain and come across and they always say oh you know i never had the chance to race in the spanish championship or i never had the chance to race in you know model three as it is now mm -hmm. model two and they're always playing catch-up you mm -hmm. had those opportunities but it was a different set of circumstances for you as well it wasn't like it was for someone like brad smith that went over and he was with alberto and you're being pushed into a structure into a system yeah. you, you were on your own for a lot of it yeah i mean i did have say kind of wanted to help me when i was in the red bull academy but it just didn't suit me i wasn't that rider so we just clashed a lot and it was not my style so we had to go on our own way and take a chance and we did and we managed to start winning races and prove to people and i was always getting where i was by doing results that others were not doing and people forget about that they forget about when i was 13 14 15 and i was qualifying on front rows i was winning races in spanish championship i was dominating by 15 20 seconds people forget about that and that's how i got my name on the map because i was doing things 
that others couldn't even come close to doing. So I had it different. It was not easier. It was not more difficult. I mean, coming up through BSB, maybe their goal is MotoGP or their goal is World Superbike. From BSB to Superbike, you've got quite a good chance being a British rider, honestly. Going to MotoGP, yes, is way more difficult. You know, I, But that sacrifice needs to be made in the early days. So that's where I'm grateful for my dad and my uncle that pushed me and took the chance and, and got me in Spain and pushed me every day. You know, there was a lot of days, most of my days, I didn't enjoy riding. It wasn't fun for me. A lot of these guys did it because they wanted to do it and it was fun. I didn't enjoy it and it wasn't fun. I was pushed to do it. And I was good at it, but I didn't enjoy it. So and then as I got older, I started to enjoy and realize the talent that I had and I could build something from it. But if it was my choice as a kid, I would not be here today. So I'm grateful that I had a family that was pushing and quite aggressive in a way to get me where I am. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I do remember probably whenever you were with Grissini, I think it was, we were chatting and you were talking about how the fact that you raced because you were good at it, mm -hmm. not because you loved it. Yeah. And boxing was what you kind of found was actually a lot more in line mm -hmm. with your passion. But now, you, obviously, you enjoy riding, enjoy racing. And was it just the hard times with Aprilia that kind of showed you what life could be without that kind of thing? And that's what made, made it for you? Or was it just being able to get back to enjoying the racing by being at the front in BSB? Yeah, I mean, the, the Aprilia thing just destroyed my head from fucking inside out it was just every it came like okay you had a bad weekend okay you had two bad weekends but then it was like oh so it was a bad friday it was a bad saturday it'll be better tomorrow then it was a bad fp1 a bad fp2 and then you could never recover you're just going further and further in a hole where you think what the fuck am i risking my life for and i do think about that sometimes you'd be stupid not to um but that was the thing. I didn't really enjoy it then. And it wasn't something that I loved doing. I don't like to finish in 17th, 18th position. That's not what I'm made of. I don't want to do that shit. So having that BSB thing kind of made me think, oh, I actually enjoy this. I was a bit older. I went to race in the UK, which I never really done. So I had friends there and it was like, fuck, now I know why people enjoy racing in BSB. They go and, you know, retire race there. They can have fun. It's relaxed. It's enjoying. And I thought, fuck, I'm still quite good. If I can get a good bike, I can fight in world level again. So it was a blessing in disguise. Just um, this weekend, obviously, we had Pedro Acosta in Moto3. He comes in, 16-year-old kid on his Grand Prix debut, puts it on the front row, puts it on the podium. It reminded everyone of when you came in in Qatar or mm -hmm. when Fanati came in in Qatar as well. And you know, for you and Fanati, you were always that outlier. You mm -hmm. were always very different to the norm for a Grand Prix rider. Does that be an advantage at any time as well? Where you know, instead of thinking in terms of the structures that people go through, did, did it help you as well? It didn't help me. I was I was end of two thousand and nine. I was left without a ride, but I had a bike that didn't finish 70 percent of the races and practices. But then I was just pushed to the curb. I had no money. Okay, let him go, and that was where Michael Bartolini kind of took me under the wing and gave me a chance and built me up to who I am today. But in the early days, you could kind of get away a little bit with those that riding, you know, oh, why is he riding like that? Oh, he's young, he's fast, he's consistent, like, you know, he doesn't feel the pressure. Now it's a bit different. These guys are coming up through, like, Red Bull rookies and they're racing at elite level, like, same as Moto3 guys, just without the experience. So the speed's dead and they're gaining the experience. And you see that a lot of guys coming up now are able to fight for top 10 immediately in, in Moto3. So... 
you you can see that with the rookies that nowadays it's more easy to come into it there's more availability with different championships and you know what different organizations are doing that is feeding them up look how young the gridding moto gp is now i mean they're just forcing these young guys in and it's not really giving anyone a chance you know two years don't perform see you later then what do you do with your career <laughs> you build up your whole fucking life to be there for two years and you don't quite understand it or the bike doesn't work and you're chucked out the back door new one comes in but that's the game we're in what do you see on the superbike grid then as well because you know we've talked about it a lot in the media about how this is actually a real golden age for superbikes we've got a grid that front to back is really stacked we've got lots of good bikes on the grid now as well is it more competitive than you expected it to be or or how does it stack up it was good it was exciting i remember the first race we had what kawasaki yamaha ducati bmw was there for a bit like all manufacturers like that for me is how racing should be not one manufacturer that's dominant um that was the cool thing in bsb it was sometimes different manufacturers able to be there and the quality of the world superbike grid when you look at the history of it is it's pretty strong you know what i mean um but it's a little bit older which, you know, the guys, for me, British guys are maturing a little bit older and they can perform at a little bit older age. So we have to see. But again, now the young guys are being pushed up into the superbike and I think the same thing is going to happen quite soon. So you always need to perform. What do you think of the grid now as well? Because obviously in Jerez last year was your second round in the championship and you and Top Rack had a bit of a battle and you were pretty critical of him afterwards. But mm-hmm. now you've had a year of racing with him. Like, how do you how do you view him and some of the other guys? No, the guy's great. You know, he's one of the best guys I've met in the paddock. He's very mutual when you see him off track. On track is a different fucking ball game. But we're going racing. We're not there to be friends. So... If I have something to say about his riding, yeah, I mean it, but it doesn't mean I won't go and say hello or catch a little cola or something together after. It's not, I wouldn't do that. It's just for me, there's a safety barrier that he's a bit younger. I'm getting a bit older now. So maybe you kind of see like, is it really worth what you're doing? But in the end, you just got to think, shut the fuck up. You want to go racing? You want to bash bars? Get stuck in. And, you know, it was just maybe for me a bit being a bit cautious for the championship because I had a lot on the line and I felt like I had to give a lot, a lot of pressure to do results. And I just didn't want to get results wasted like I had two times in BSB with Irwin. It's, it just fucks your weekend. How are you going to view a successful season this year? Win. <laughs> that's, this, you know, that's all I can do. Like one step more. I took it to the last round. We know we had a couple of weak points. Ducat has gone back to Bologna. They've been working really hard through the winter to bring parts that should help us and we've got a great opportunity to test here because here's one of the more tough tracks for us in Aragon so the work is being put in and I believe that we have the opportunity to win a title there's there is weakness with Jonathan he's not unbreakable you know we saw it last year there is gaps that I can get into and we can race and I can beat him it's good for me to know that it's good for the team and now I've got one year experience. I, okay, maybe he's got maybe 15 years experience, but, you know, I'm coming closer. The one last thing about Johnny then as well. Obviously, he came into this championship. He was 18 whenever he first got on a superbike. You were obviously in the Grand Prix paddock at that stage. But once you went to Mark VDS and you're on the Moto2 bike, it really did seem that things started to click into place for you around about the same time in your career as it did for Johnny. But how important was it to have the experience of what it was like to be a front runner in that class before you had your chance on the superbike? 
Um, like, did it help you just to know that whenever it is all there was working just, right? That you there can... was just so much pressure to perform that you don't really think that much. You just think, I need to fucking perform. You know, there's no enjoyment even at that level. And the uh, first year in Moto2 was not bad. Second year was a bit of a disaster. The bike was not good. And we knew we should have changed the bike the year before. So I wasted one year. Then you build up. Then we almost won the championship the year after. Then you go to GP and you go down against you. You're constantly building yourself up and down. But it's like never really going up, up, up. Where for me, in Jonathan's case, he's always been a good rider. There's no doubt about it. BSB, World Superbike, Supersport, he's always been there. But then it's, you can see like how he's perfected it over the years when he got on the Kawasaki and he's just doing s small things. Like I'm still building myself up because of the damage that I had in the past. And a confident rider and a happy rider is always a dangerous rider. And you see that with Jonathan and the team. The whole connection is great. And I have that connection with my team, but we need more time. Time is something you can't buy. So we have to be a bit patient and do the right work so we can be competitive from the first round. Does the experience of Aragon last year help you with that? Because obviously when we talked around then, you were talking a lot about how Rinaldi could use the softer tyre. You weren't really focusing on yourself, it seemed. You were focused mm. on what you couldn't have. Well, there wasn't really much that I could do. I was stuck with a setup that was give or take. I could put a tyre in and be competitive for 8% of the race and then drop off, or I'd keep the normal tyre and kind of be not so competitive and maybe make the same result, maybe make more. Now we know we've been there. We had a total, I think six races there and we know what we've learned. Okay. We know this is going to work. We know that can't work. We know this is a possibility. We're not now guessing. We're not like, okay, should we? Okay. Let's try it. Now we know, okay, last year that worked last year that didn't work. Forget it. And we can focus on other points. Just one last question then Scott, obviously the structure and the format of a season is very different here. The Super Bowl race, 10 lap race, three races a weekend. How do you find them? Do you enjoy having, the, say, the sprint race? Do you like having three races over the weekend? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a bit heavy. It's a, it's a lot of riding, not a lot of recovery. You know, we have the the practice and we have the qualifying. Then we have the super. Uh, we have the first race on the Saturday. It's quite heavy. Then you have warm up. Super pole race and you've got to change your riding for that super pole race. It's not the same as like race one and race two. Is the intensity is higher, then you've got to maybe change the bike a bit. And that again took me a little bit of getting used to. Like so I was setting off and thinking, okay, and I'm like, fuck, these guys are going. And I, I gotta go. And I gotta change on the moment. I gotta adapt to it. So now we know. And I, I do like the format of more racing in the end. The racing is the fun part, so it's good. All right. Thanks for joining us on the show, Scott. Thank you. Really good to have sat down with Scott and to hear his thoughts. Gordo, one of the things that I found really interesting with it was how Scott sees himself as evolving over time. Experience has been a massive thing for him. He's gone through tough times. There's no doubt about that. You think about a rider that comes in, you know, like recently in the Qatar Grand Prix we saw, or the Doha Grand Prix, the second round in Qatar, we saw Pedro Acosta winning his second Grand Prix. You know, and everyone's saying how great potentially this rider is scott was that rider when he was a 15 year old he came in he put it on the front row for his grand prix debut he was the youngest grand prix winner when he won at donnington like you know, the road ahead of him was was easy everyone would have thought whenever he was 15 
But instead, you know, you go to a bad team or, you know, a team loses a sponsor. One thing happens after the other. And it took Scott a long time to kind of recapture any sort of momentum in his career. And then obviously in Moto2, he was able to challenge for a championship. You know, came very close to winning a world championship. And then you go into MotoGP and you think, all right, I'm right there. I've done everything I need to do. I've given myself a good chance. You get onto a bad bike. You get onto a struggling bike. Then you move teams. And Scott went from Grassini to VDS to, to Pramac Ducati onto Aprilia. Like a lot of people thought they would be able to, to get the most out of Scott Redding, but they never were quite really able to get that. And I think whenever you listen to Scott now, he talks an awful lot about the benefit that he's learned over the years. And that comes from disappointing times. It comes from hard times. It comes from the good times as well and learning how he needs to improve. And I think it was interesting to see that that was one of the things he really focused on. Yes. Um, riders have to keep learning. Um, he's, he's obviously hugely experienced in MotoGP. The thing that made Scott a bit different from a lot of people was when he went to BSB, he was instantly fast. It, it wasn't too much of a culture shock for him. And he, he achieved there, which is alluding to what I, I said earlier about the maybe slight over-expectation that he was just going to come into World Superbike and clean up. But if I was him, I'd be saying, OK, I'm not 20 years old and with it all in front of him now. I'd be looking at the lessons I've had in the past, thinking, how do I stop making the same mistakes? And what is a genuine opportunity? What's a wee goldmine of set up or whatever to follow? And if it works, stay that way. He should be using his experience now to overcome the most experienced superbike rider and the most successful superbike rider there's ever been. That's still a tough ask. But if I was him, I'd be looking... Not even 10 years ago, I'd be looking at last year thinking, well, we came pretty close. What was wrong when we didn't get there? And from what I've heard them say, if they can fix the steering issues of the bike and a couple of other things, then he might well be there every single race. The, the question I've got is, can Ducati, the team, do that for him? Because if, if they do, I think then he's going to be a much more consistent challenger and all that experience he's got will have arrived at the right place at the right time only time will tell and this is the season but I think his season last year even though it had some mistakes and there were some problems uh, and how mad a season it was with Covid etc anyway um, that he should be able to process that information well given his experience from MotoGP which again is a more riders on better equipment to fight against in every class every week all the time and Superbike there's one big target one Okay, maybe somebody will come from left field or outfield this year, but there's one big target and he got close to it last year. That's what I'd be thinking if I was him. When you look back at last year as well, Gordo, because obviously Philip Island, we saw Scott came out, he had three podiums, looked really composed, really settled himself in nicely to the season. And then we went to round two in Hareth. He picked up two wins. Johnny, of course, won the sprint race in Hareth. But for Scott, you know, he he'd picked up his podiums, he picked up his wins. It all you know, started so smoothly for him. And then we went to Portimao, which we know was always going to be a Johnny track. It doesn't matter what, what bike Johnny Ray is racing on in Portimao, he's always going to be strong, tough to beat. You know, so, you know, that was one round where you nearly had to lick your wounds. But then the double header in Aragon, you know, back-to-back races at a track that we've seen Ducati so strong in the past, that really was the moment when the season turned. That was the moment when, for one thing, Jonathan thought, I can win this championship again. 
and it really did see just a, a shift in uh, in the momentum within the paddock. And it was interesting to me that you know a long way through the summer you'd see Ray and Redding out training together. They might be out cycling and different things like this. You know, it seemed that, and it's a, it's a good thing for from Scott. Like he doesn't really care about what happens once they're off track. He doesn't see it as you know it it, it has an impact on anything. Whereas Johnny, on the other hand, you always get the feeling Johnny's not afraid of just sticking the knife in, twisting it, and you know making you think about things for a couple of weeks. And that's a difference between the two riders as well. Yes, I mean Jonathan is a master of mind games. Um, he really is. He's been he's done it to teammates. He's done it to rivals all through his career. He's very good at it. It's very subtle, and sometimes you don't notice. But every opportunity he gets, he's sowing a seed of doubt in someone's mind. Um, he's very good at it. He's a he's a very good guy, Jonathan. It's it's just part of the racing setup for him. It's been the it's been a world champions trait for a long time, um, and he's very good at it. It's just another element of the overall package for me for Jonathan. And yeah, he can still be friends with the riders and get on well with them. But you have to have that kind of alpha male thing where you want to be putting yourself above them. You want to be sowing doubt in people's minds all the time, um, especially at a time like you say in Aragon when it's slightly started derailing a little bit. Then some of the things that people said to you, you can take back to them and then they have to start thinking about it again. Um, and then you can prove, well, you know, this wasn't my track and they still did well. So that Aragon was a great surprise. I mean, that should have been Ducati City. It really should have been great big long straight, well known to to all the riders. But Scott knows that place as well as anybody else, um, and it just didn't work out that way. And I think that's because they didn't get that marriage of him and the bike. Just didn't feel right at that track. It's the changing tracks thing, um, but it was the worst place for it to happen. That should have been a place whereby Scott was leaving dancing, you know, and he, and he ended up. Yeah, it was. It looked difficult. One of the other things that Scott said as well that really did surprise me was whenever I asked him about being teammates with Rinaldi and suddenly Scott's the older rider within the team for probably the first time in his career. And, you know, he's talking in terms of, oh, well, Rinaldi's been here for, for ages. You know, it feels like home for him. You know, and that surprised me because, you know, it was it was deflecting away from the pressure that should be on Scott. No one expects Rinaldi to beat him over a season. You know, not even Ducati expect that. Scott's there to win the championship. So it surprised me whenever you know he was trying to make it seem that, you know what, maybe I'm not the team leader here. Well, again, that might just be his own uh, mind games coming into operation. It might be a deflection technique. It may be something that uh, it's just something that he's working on in his mind at the minute to help give him extra motivation. It's sometimes better to feel you're behind the other rider inside your own team because it gives some people a, a, a you know carrot and stick, so that would be a stick. You know the carrot is being the big guy, the stick is being the underdog. So maybe that's his thought process. Well, Gordo, we're just going to finish up now with uh, this show about Scott Redding, and I'm going to ask you just straight up: you know, can Scott win the championship, and will Scott win the championship? Can he? Yes. Will he? Uh, difficult, mostly because Kawasaki brought a new bike that's might take away the natural advantage or more of the advantage that the Ducatis had in top end. So, will he? It might be even harder this year. Okay, thanks for joining us on the show as ever, Gordo. And, uh, you know, the clock's ticking down to the start of the season, so it's going to be really good once we're able to get back underway. 
it's not a clock, it's a sundial, mate. It's been so long. <laughs> it's honestly, it's just I keep looking at the calendar thinking, no, don't need to do it yet. Still got still waiting, still waiting. But no, Gordo, I can't wait for none, it to get None of going. our listeners are gonna believe that a sundial is of any use in uh, West Scotland. Uh today you're absolutely right. It's chucking it down here, mate. It's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. Well, look, thanks for joining us, Gordo. And until the next time in the Paddock Pass podcast, a big thank you to everyone for listening. And a big thank you for supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast. We've got lots of new initiatives on Patreon this season. We've got the Paddock Pass podcast extra that goes out for all of our Patreon supporters. And we've also got the Paddock Insiders as well. So over the course of a Grand Prix weekend, that's where the guys get together to be able to get you up to date from from the circuit on that given weekend so a big thanks to everyone that supports us on Patreon and follows us on social media make sure to drop us a comment and leave a review as well on your so on your podcast platform this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler David Emmett Steve English Neil Morrison and Adam Wheeler it was edited by Brian Burnett music is provided by The Liberty all inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com Twenty twenty one. Yeah, Gordo, I'm away with the fairies today, to be honest, mate. Have a coffee, mate. I'm having a coffee.